Friends, would you stand with me as we read in the scriptures this morning, Colossians chapter 2. I am reading verses 8 to the end of the chapter. Again, if you would listen now to the Lord's word. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross." When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are mere shadow, uh, a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels. Taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. This is the Lord's word. Please be seated, friends. Again, Lord, we thank you for this day and thank you for your word and pray that your blessing be on it now as this servant opens it. And I pray that you would give ears to hear in the part of your people here, that they would be blessed, that they would be strengthened, and that, of course, the kingdom of Satan would suffer great injury. Bless this gospel, we pray. I ask now in Christ's name. Amen. It's a very straightforward passage of scripture, really hard to mess this up. Just watch. <laughs> That's why I pray the way I do, because how Satan works, he does, he does, he, he works. The word is preached, and, and I get off on some tangent, some dumb thing, say something that's wrong, or you are sitting there thinking about what's in the kitchen rather than thinking about what's actually being said. There is a battle for our souls, and this goes on. And I'm acutely aware of this very thing. I watch the children, I hear them humming or singing. It's a wonderful thing. Um, I see people growing weary, and I see these things, and and all of these things attack and assail us. Again, there's a battle going on for your soul, and a war rages, but not from the standpoint of the Lord. 
He's not the one who's battling. He's one. He's sovereign. So he's not going to lose this battle. The battle, however, does rage from the standpoint of the world, the devil, and your flesh. Because it is constant, the voices that we hear in our heads. And I don't mean you're hearing voices, except you may be. But it's those whispers, it's those thoughts that keep you awake at 2 and 3 in the morning. I've spoken to several people who are just so, so riddled with guilt and regrets from their past. And they are just beaten up by what has taken, up, taken place in the past. We hear these things, we, we, we read of these things on our computers, we re- see them on our televisions and in society. Even so-called believers, perhaps well-meaning, but deceived and misinformed, bring us messages casting some doubt that perhaps Jesus Christ isn't enough. And honestly, friends, if you believe that anyone is ever going to come and say to you, Jesus Christ isn't enough, you're naive. Nobody ever says anything like that. They don't say that. So stop looking for cult leaders with horns and fangs. They don't exist. They're beautiful, and they say things. Look at he says here. I am amazed just as we read this. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement. The appearance of wisdom and self-made. This is how this is how Satan works. He feeds our flesh. He flatters us. We are the smart kind of people. You know. He does this. Beware of that very thing. These individuals come to you encouraging you to stay away from certain things, to engage in certain behaviors. These are good disciplines, good habits, good traditions, which will make you a better Christian. It'll make you happier. It'll help you not feel guilty in the middle of the night. It'll make the Lord happier with you, more accepting. It'll boost your confidence in your efforts about your walk with the Lord. If but you could just conquer this one sin if you could just bring your flesh in subjection the desires of your flesh and bring them under control ah you would feel so good about yourself and we we have these guilty feelings these unyielding failings that are constantly lorded over us and uncertainty because i'm not where i know i ought to be in my life Maybe these sweet and caring people, maybe they really are right. Maybe I need to focus less on my appearance. Right, women? If you just got up and put on a gunny sack and came to church, wouldn't you feel so much more holy? You spend so much time in front of that mirror, you're just just too vain. Why would you do this? You need to focus less on your appearance. And you men, you need to get up earlier. Two o'clocks. Too late. Get up, man. What are you sleeping into two for? Get up and have your devotions at one. Maybe if you fasted more, maybe if you deny yourself dessert today, wouldn't that be a a sign to everyone else in the church? What a good Christian you are. You limited yourself to only three hot dogs. These are the things that go through my mind. I know that they've gone through my mind. And I can only imagine what they, they goes through your mind. And I know that as a sinner, you're no different than me. You're just as big as sinners as I am. I know that. 
Scripture tells me this very thing. These are the trials that come into our minds. Give away your possessions. Maybe, maybe if you beat yourself up a few more times, you could feel better about how unholy you are. Right? It kind of levels things out. And this is the people I've spoken to this week. People beating themselves up. I go, does that make you feel better? And what are you placing your confidence? And I wish I, wish I had time just to explore this thought because I'm convinced that Satan, Satan lords it over us. All of our past failings, all of the things we have done and all the guilt that we are riddled with that keep us up in the middle of the night that make us chagrin. Satan's at work. There's a battle. These messages are out there, and this message rings around in our minds, and we constantly tell ourselves, you've got to do better. You've got to do better. And the encouragements we receive become the shackles by which we are led away into captivity, following, as Paul says, the philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. As we continue to work through this portion of Colossians, the apostle is giving to these young believers the antidote to the poisonous venom uh, of the lies of the devil and the doctrines of demons. And it is important for us. It is important for us to remember this. While those out in the world and the world's religions are saying, this is the way to life, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, the apostle says no. That is the way to death. Rather, the way of life is Christ in you, and in Christ you have been made complete. It's a wonderful message. It's a wonderfully freeing message. And I wish, I wish that we would listen to this. I wish we would listen to it, because I think you would all, myself included, would sleep soundly. I think we could rest and not beat ourselves up and beat up other people who are failing along the way. It's the gospel. He said in verses 11 and 12, In Christ you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him, my friends, when you believe the work of God who raised Jesus up from the dead uh, for your justification, you were made clean. You were made clean. And the apostle here, as we continue in verses 13 through 15 only today, as he is writing here, he is writing to encourage the believers by pointing out to them, to us, how truly complete we are in Christ by instructing us in what Jesus Christ has done for us in order that we would not be taken captive, in order to be avoid being taken captive by the false religions and the false messages and the guilt and all of the things that assail us in order to be kept from being taken captive, we focus upon Jesus Christ. Again, in my conversations, I'm constantly saying, let's look at Jesus and the well, let me tell you what, I, let's look at Jesus. Let's consider what Jesus Christ has done. And it's really, it's the antidote. It's the antidote for all these things that, that have crept into the church across the street. What are they saying? Do the rosary, do these things more, do these things 
come to Mass, do these things. That's not the answer. But Christ, Christ is the answer. We mustn't, and you mustn't let anyone take you captive. If you are in Christ, and you were to die right now, you would be as ready as you need to be. Oh, goodness, I don't want to die yet. I've got so many things I better work on before I die. What is that a statement about? Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? And I don't mean cleaning out your garage, but I mean getting your life personally ready. Do you, do you understand what a heretical statement, statements like that are? Right? If you were to die right now and in Christ, you would be as ready as you need to be uh, to be before a holy judge and to be unashamed and all because of Jesus Christ. This is what has been done for you. You don't need to second guess or to question or to entertain even for a second whether Christ is enough. Why? Because we want to consider what Jesus Christ has done for you. Notice here that the apostle starts by stating the facts of what you were. In verse 13a, he says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He states what their condition was what it was now now understand we we read the scriptures and and we we talk like this that well god saves everyone or everyone every every person is god's child that's not true categorically not true every person is a creature made by god and every person is a creature made in the image of god but that does not make them a child of god my friends before you came to christ you were in rebellion you were an enemy of God's. You were his enemy. And, and, and so you weren't entitled to, to anything. You were dead. And here he's not speaking about our physical condition, obviously, but of their spiritual condition. What does it mean to be dead? Think about this just very, very practically. What does it mean to be dead? It is to be lifeless. It is to be inanimate, without power or ability to breathe, to think, to move, to feel, or to emote. It is to be without power or effect. That is what it is to be dead physically. You go up to the cemetery up there, and what will you find? Graves with people who are in them, bodies, shells, in those graves. And you could go up there and you could talk to them. You could plead with them. You can bring them flowers. But those flowers aren't for the people in the grave. They can't smell them. They can't see them. And they can't hear. What is it to be then spiritually dead? It is to be without life in the soul. It is to be without power or ability to hear, to see, to believe to understand, to feel, or to will. Spiritually, before Christ, Paul says very plainly, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. We have people tell us that we have capabilities, that we're not really dead, we're sick. But that's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say you were spiritually sick. He says you were spiritually dead. We all know the difference between sickness and death. 
when my wife is sick and I bring her a cup of soup, she says, thank you. And she scoots up in the bed and she holds that bowl of soup in front of her. If she were dead, I'm guessing, because she's never died yet, I'm guessing it would be a very different thing. I'd hold the soup out to her and she would be lifeless. There would be no hand reaching for it. There would be no words of affirmation or thank you or could I have some more salt? Nothing. There's a difference between sickness and death and it is not an accident that the Lord speaks of the human condition prior to Christ as being not sickness but death. So we hear people often say that men should choose to do right. But how does a dead man do anything? He chooses nothing. You should see what I'm saying. But their eyes are clouded and their ears are deaf because they are dead. Can a dead individual see? Can they hear? Do they reason? Can they climb out of their graves? Can they show remorse for sin, for concern over what uh, concerns God? They most certainly do not. And they were, says Paul, you were dead. Dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of their flesh. Or dead by reason of their transgressions and the uncircumcision of their flesh. Friends, listen to me. This is the world apart from Christ. They are dead spiritually dead so we watch the news and we hear the politics and we wonder what in the world is wrong with these people why do they believe these things why are they saying these things are they crazy are they sick no they're dead why are we surprised when dead men have no thoughts at all we shouldn't be we shouldn't be. They were dead. As children of Adam and Eve, you were conceived in sin. We've gone over this many times. You were conceived in sin. You were brought forth in iniquity. This is what David says in Psalm 51. Later in Psalm 58, he says that you are estranged, uh, estranged from the womb. That is, you are alienated. These beautiful little grandchildren of mine running around here, don't let their, let their beautiful, cute little outfits deceive you. They need the Lord Jesus. They are estranged from the womb. They go astray. But that's not just them. It's all of us. This is the condition of men. This is where we are. From our mother's wombs, we have deviated from the truth and uprightness of the law of God, have run headlong into sin and rebellion dead by reason of the fact that we were in the uncircumcision of our flesh. Our spiritual condition was one in which we were yet under the power and control of the desires of our flesh. The corrupt and fallen desires were rooted deep down in us. Prior to the work of God's grace in your life, you were dead and unable to do anything. And that doesn't mean that people don't try. And we're not saying that. We're not saying that uh, spiritual death equals equals um, um, not having concerns for things, but it's having an inability to recommend ourselves to God. We are spiritual beings. We have this great big 
emptiness in us. We were created to have this relationship with the Almighty, made after his image. But men have deemed that there are certain ways that we need to approach God. And I heard of and watched, actually, this story of this lady who I believe was a witch, who the Lord had delivered her away from these things. And she started She started with, with meditation and yoga, and, and she eventually built quite an internet following telling others what they should do to find peace. And yet she says by her own words that she had tried everything and one thing led to another and she thought, oh, I feel such an emptiness and I can't, I can't satisfy this. And yet she's telling all these thousands of other internet followers, right? They call her the influencer. And she's got all these people she's influencing. And she says, but everything left me empty. So she craved more and more. And it led her to more self-deprivation. And it led her to, to continue to pursue the mystery of unlocking doors that would lead to greater enlightenment. And she reached a point where she was considered a goddess. Imagine being able to put that on your resume. I'm a goddess. Oh. Who wouldn't want her working for you, right? And she was considered a goddess, and she says, I had nothing. It couldn't satisfy me. Talk about what people will do to find peace and to find happiness. And she pursued it, leading her, leading her uh, to the occult. In her testimony, Jesus stopped her and Jesus saved her. And she had the most beautiful glow on her face as she spoke about the Lord and what the Lord Jesus did. My friends, those kinds of things, don't think yourself. I know we probably don't have any witches here this morning. I'm sure there's no goddesses in here. But don't be deceived into thinking that we don't fall into those same kinds of traps and thinking I must recommend myself to the Lord. And if I just tried this, and if I just added something to Jesus maybe maybe I would be helped but my friends you can't because you were dead Paul would write in Ephesians 2 and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But Paul writes, this was the believers at one time. They were dead. We were all once dead in our sins. This was you and this was me, completely hopeless, without ability, without resource, dead, completely and utterly dead but no longer but no longer listen to what he says he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross my friends you are no longer dead how can this be because he has made you alive. He has made you alive. We are now in Christ, no longer spiritually dead, but alive. We can see. The scales have come off. We can hear. We have heard the voice of the shepherd calling to us. We believe. We feel sad when we sin. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We care about the things of the Lord now, whereas previously we didn't. 
To what do we owe this new life? We owe it, friends, to nothing other than the grace of our God in Christ Jesus, period. Period. There can be no pride. There is no room for pride. There is no room for boasting. He is the one who made you alive together with him. That is, as one commentator said, your new life indeed is a sharing in the new life which Christ received when God raised him from the dead. The life, the new life you have is a gift from God and was accomplished when Christ himself was raised from the dead on that first day of the week. Again, Paul writing in Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So understand, it is not a new life in sin, but a new life apart from sin, no longer under its dominion or its control. And I imagine that as I say these things, you say to, you say to yourself, yes, but he doesn't understand how hard it is to fight against sin. Remember, friends, I'm not any different than you. I know what a struggle it can be to fight against your thoughts, to fight against your emotions, and to not be controlled, and to pursue the, the, the passion of the moment. I know those struggles. The fight is hard, but understand what the scriptures are teaching, not that we stop the struggle with sin, but in Christ we are no longer under sin's dominion. We are no longer under its control. Let me say it like this. You've heard people say, well, I I, I just can't help it. To which I would say, are you a Christian? Yeah. Then you can help it. You can't. You are not bound to that sin any longer. You may feel like, well, I can't help it. Yes, you can. In Christ, that sin, that dominion has been broken. Now we enter into the struggle. But, but, but the resource is not me. The strength is not from me. And it's not to be found if you just dig deeper in and will it so. No. It's, it must be that we focus upon Jesus Christ. He sets us free. You do not have to sin any longer. Nothing can now make you do so. And what does the writer of Hebrews say? You have not yet resisted to the point of what? Shedding blood. We, we wrestle with sin. But the good news is we do have victory over it. Little by little, the Lord grants us victory. The new life has come because our sin, which was the cause of death and the reason for our separation from God, our sin and our guilt have been removed from us. Again, he has forgiven us all our transgressions. You will hear that you are not good enough, not yet clean enough for, uh, or tolerable by the Lord. If you just, just do a little bit more, work out those wrinkles and suffer just a bit more, you will, you will arrive. But I want to remind you of what Jesus said on the cross. He said, it is finished. That was his cry. God has forgiven us all our transgressions. He has pardoned them. He has absolved us from the consequences of them before his holiness. And friends, not some. Again, yes, he's he's, he's delivered me from these sins, but he's not delivered me from these. And, And what does Satan do? He beats you up over these things. 
Anyone not have regrets from the past? I have huge regrets. And as far as the world goes, I had a pretty mild life. It's really hard to get in trouble when you sit in your basement all day long. And yet I managed to do it. Don't ask me how. We have regrets. But Jesus says, it is finished. And the apostle says here that we have been forgiven all our transgressions. And again, not some, not in part, but the whole. All of your sin, all of your rebellion, all your greed, all your dark desires, all your sinful anger, all your self-centeredness, all of the self-pity, all of your immoralities, all of the filth and adulterous thoughts, all your worry, all the faithless wranging, uh, wranglings and the slanderous comments, all of the pride that you have had throughout your life, Christ died and it has been paid. Your transgressions have all been forgiven. The ones that you have done, the ones that you do, and the ones that you will commit tomorrow, Christ has paid for them all. He has forgiven us, again, all our transgressions, forgiven all our iniquity, and as Jeremiah says, the Lord has promised that he will not remember it anymore. Furthermore, he writes that he's having, he's canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Our sin was like a huge mountain of debt, a debt that we could never ever pay you know what it is to have debt certainly you do you have house payments and student loans and car payments ranch payments what is that weight you feel each month comes and you have that paycheck comes in or once every six months you get a paycheck comes in and you say how in the world are we going to ever pay this and that debt seems insurmountable, and it's just a weight upon you, and it keeps you awake. How are we going to do this? And yet the debt against God is so much infinitely greater. This term, certificate of debt, is a business term, and it means a certificate of indebtedness in the debtor's own handwriting. It's a business term. When commentator said this, very helpful explanation. He says, it is as if we made a written agreement to keep the law, our certificate of debt to it, but our failure to keep the law has turned this certificate into a bond held against us to prove our guilt. It is this bond representing the power which the law has over us rather than the law itself, which Paul views as canceled by Christ. Here we are, born into this world, and as creatures, we are obligated to walk before the Lord and to be blameless. The Jew had the law. You, raised in the church, have been exposed to the truth of the scriptures. And what do they do? Oh, I feel so guilty. I go out of church. He reads the, the Ten Commandments. Oh, he says this about thoughts. He says this about adultery. He says this in the law. Indeed, the law has to be preached. Because without the law, we don't understand our, our sin. Without the law, we don't understand what debtors we are. And this certificate written in your own hand, yes, Lord, I will do these things. And actually, Satan grabs it and he holds it in your face and he shakes it and says, look at this. Look at this. 
you're not doing it you're not abiding again we are born into this world obligated to walk before the Lord even the pagan has a conscience that is troubled obligated as if we had signed this document obligating ourselves we will do these things but have not now it shows not what we have done as we ought but our failings and it shows us our guilt again listen to Galatians 3 I mentioned this earlier Galatians chapter 3 verses 21 and 22 Paul writes is the law then contrary to the promises of God may it never be for if a law had been given which was able to impart life then righteousness would indeed have been based on law but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe do you see what he's saying is that the law is that certificate of debt the law is the thing that shows us how I failed so when the law says honor your father and your mother that means honor those who are in authority policemen teachers parents uh, uh, politicians who have been elected to represent the people when we are disrespectful we are actually breaking the fifth commandment and we demonstrate to ourselves it is demonstrated to us that we are lawbreakers thus we have incurred the wrath of God because we have violated his law this certificate of debt exposes our indebtedness it is hostile to us it proves our indebtedness to God and that he would be just to condemn us to hell for the debt that we owe an infinite debt so those who would say do better what are they thinking Perish the thought that any amount of effort on your part or man's part could remove this debt. Those trying to take us captive, how could they ever believe that these works of the flesh could ever meet God's righteous demands or fulfill our indebtedness? Yet here is our hope, and this must be our only hope, that the Lord has regarded our helpless estate. In Christ Jesus, friends, in his life, his death, and his resurrection, this obligation that we owed, this certificate, with your signature on it, that which you were obligated to do, which shows your failings, we are told by Paul that he has canceled it. He has canceled it out. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. All your past, all of your sins, all of the things that you hold on to at night and you enjoy beating yourself up over because, gee, maybe I feel a little better about doing this. Stop it! It is an offense. It is an offense to God because he gave, he gave the sacrifice of his son on our behalf. So when somebody says you're not good enough, you say, well, of course not. But Jesus is. And Jesus has paid the debt. He has canceled it. He has taken it out of the way. He came, friends, and did what you should have done. He met the demands of the law in your place. Do you believe this? You're, do you come to church to look how, to, to see how you might live better and be more pleasing to God? You know, I don't doubt that there's, there's these, these commands given to us. I mean, they're all throughout the, the New Testament, but they're always based on the fact of what Christ has done first. It's never do these things and, and then God will accept you. You can't do them the way that the Lord wants them. 
but Jesus did. Do you, you see the difference? I hope you see the difference. I'm not telling you, make yourself better people. I'm telling you, look to Jesus Christ, and he will make you acceptable to the Lord. There is no, now, no debt, no certificate showing your shame and sin, because Jesus Christ paid it all. Paul said, Peter says this, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. On the cross, it was taken out of the way as it was nailed to the cross. But not only so, friends, and this is where we come to verse 15, that Christ has conquered the enemies of our soul. This is how complete a salvation he has accomplished for us. Listen to verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. The cross, the place of shame and defeat, of humiliation, became the place of triumph. On the cross, that certificate was canceled and made ineffective, and it now holds no power over you. It can't be used against you anymore. Paul has said, he is the head over all rule and authority in verse 10. Satan held that certificate, again, holding it over your head, intimidating you reminding you of your guilt and your shame and your sorrow. Others in this world will remind you of your guilt and your shame and your sorrow and how you ought to be sour and sad and and unhappy because Jesus isn't quite enough. But that is quite the contrary message than what the Apostle Paul gives us here. I just don't know how he could say it any more plain than he is saying it here that Christ canceled that debt out. That that, that ledger has been marked paid in full. If you've ever paid off anything in your life, what's that feeling you have when you walk away from the bank and you go, oh, I'm so glad that's done. Again, multiply that by millions of millions of times. That is the just feeling, the just emotion that you can have regarding your sin. And nobody needs to hold it over your head any longer. What did he do? He made a public display of these rulers and authorities, having triumphed over them through him. Commentators point out here that this is an image of a conquering Roman general parading his Um, vanquished and humiliated enemies. What they would do is when when they would conquer an enemy, they would strip them of their clothes and they would take away all of their weapons and then they would march them while they ride, while the general rides in the chariot. They would march the, the humiliated enemies behind them in front of the whole cities to see. And this is the imagery that Paul uses here. How great a victory, how complete a salvation did Christ accomplish? What was it about that cross? That cross was actually a chariot. Because at that cross, he not only canceled the debt that Satan holds over your head, he canceled that debt. He has removed and gutted Satan's power to use the law to beat you up. And now he has paraded his triumph over this in the heavenly realms. 
angels and demons, says Paul in Ephesians 3.10, they see these things and they marvel at the many-sided or manifold wisdom of God as he, as he redeems his people for himself. My friends, this is what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that brings us to the Lord's table. This table, a body of broken, the blood that is shed, it looks so weak. How can this save me? How can that one save me? The world would say, that can't do anything for you. And yet, what men intended for evil, God intended for good. When Satan and his demons laughed at the suffering Savior on Calvary's cross, God sat and watched as his son fulfilled all righteousness to redeem for himself a people. And he rose triumphant. And the demons shrieked. And Satan was conquered. And you were set free, made complete on that day, set free from all of your sins. And I know they're bad. I know they are. Because mine are too. But I don't look back beating myself up more. I can't add to what Jesus has done. And that was the heresy that they were preying upon these dear saints. Look back, do more, do better. And Paul says, you can't do better because you can't do better than what Jesus Christ has done. That's where we stay focused. And if we don't stay focused there, you will ingest the poison and you will be led astray. We focus on Jesus. He's done it. He's done it for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your grace. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for conquering the devil and the demons. We thank you for canceling our certificate of debt. We owe you so large, and yet we could never pay it, but Jesus did. We thank you for coming, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this table in front of us and pray that you would use this meal to bless our souls and to remind us, to enable us to breathe deep and for our souls to be able to rest. Help us, Lord, I pray, not to buy into the lies of the evil one. Help us not to go back there. We pray that we would rejoice. We thank you again for your kindness to us. And I do pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.